0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Hewitt Fertility Centre podcast, aimed at giving you an insight into what we do here at the centre, as well as hopefully answering any questions you may have while looking forward to or currently undergoing fertility treatment. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Hugh Fertility Centre podcast. This week I'm joined by Paul Malnafi, Biomedical Andrologist, and Amanda Hall, Biomedical Andrologist and our Donor Bank Coordinator. This week we're going to be talking about sperm donation, why it's important, uh, why we need donors, uh, and any questions that you might have if you're considering donating. To make a start, first question being, why should I donate?
1: So uh, donor treatment is one of the treatments we do offer here at the Hewitt Fertility Centre. We have approximately uh, 15 referrals each month for people um, seeking donor sperm. Um, We like to offer our patients a range of donors. However, unfortunately, because there is a lack of donors at the moment, um, we have to import from external banks, uh, often from Denmark or the United States. Uh, what we would like to see is for the Hewitt Centre to be able to build its own bank of donors from a range of different backgrounds, a range of um, you know, ethnicities, uh, to offer all of our patients that come through.
0: So why do you think it is that uh, people in the UK, particularly obviously men in the UK, are less willing to donate than those in Denmark or the Ukraine?
1: I think it's it's a social aspect to begin with. I think we need to look at educating people. Um, I think there's a lot of concern that potentially uh, guys in the UK would worry that they might be financially um, responsible for any child through donation born through donation to them. However, what you need to remember is that if you donate through a licensed fertility clinic. Uh, then the parental responsibility financially and emotionally for that child lies with the people that the child was born to, not necessarily the donor.
0: OK, um, so moving on a little bit, Paul, what does the process entail if I decide to the, that I wanna, I'm i happy with the, the terms and conditions? Uh, what, without getting too graphic, what uh, does it uh, entail?
2: Okay, so you would um, contact the Human Fertility Centre to start off an in- initial inquiry. You would uh, speak to potentially one of us or uh, another member of staff uh, within the Andrology Lab at the Liverpool uh, Women's Hospital. We would take you through a questionnaire and work out whether um, you were eligible in the first instance to uh, to join the uh, the donor bank. We'd then book you in to see um, one of us to provide an initial semen sample uh, for us to then be able to analyse and do a lot of the tests that we have to perform. One of those tests would also be to see how that sample um, uh, not only froze but then uh, reanimated after a a brief stint in our cryo store. We'd then um, Give those results to the uh, consultant andrologist that we have working here at the Hewitt Centre, who would then uh, decide on whether the uh, the the donation the donation was suitable uh, for um, the chap to um, enter into. So why might it not be suitable? Okay, so. We, us men we, uh, we all assume that we um, have the ability to be able to conceive but unfortunately there's no way of looking at a patient and checking that they have uh, the right amount of sperm uh, to, uh, to produce a child. So we do these tests to essentially establish uh, how many sperms are there, how they're swimming, what they look like, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll take that into account with a few other biological factors and then work out whether you can um, enrol onto the donor programme. If, however, and this this does come up, um, it turns out that the male patients' um, sperm parameters don't fit the recommendations that we have in place for one reason or another, then it may be that we have to uh, decline their kind offer of uh, wanting to donate sperm for for patient use. If it was deemed that you were okay to to join the programme, then there would be a series of um, certainly around about 12, 13, 14 visits to the Hewitt Centre. Ten of those would be to produce a semen sample for us to to go on to bank. Um, We would also um, have you attend for a few more appointments for, for various blood tests, urine tests, that kind of thing. Then once you'd finish your ten banking uh, sessions, we would have you wait uh, around about six months, and then come back to us for another series of blood tests, just to check that you were free of various infections and bloodborne viruses, and then um, your sperm would then be used, um, and your donor profile would be available for patients to be able to uh, specify and use. Brilliant. Yeah,
0: that's every time is so. that. Uh, so, moving on, um, I think in the past, whenever I've thought about sperm donation, and I know maybe this isn't the case anymore, that it was something maybe students did to make a bit of cash around um, when they're studying. I know that I've read that the law's changed on, obviously, financial compensation. Uh, what is the current law on that? Is, is there financial compensation? Is there payment for sperm?
1: We don't necessarily um, pay our donors, however... All of our donors are reimbursed each time they visit for the time it's taken them out of their day to come and visit us. Um, Usually that that reimbursement's around £35. However, if you needed um, to put a child in daycare or you were coming a little bit further and it costs more than £35, with the receipts and evidence, we would reimburse you uh, for your travel expenses or anything else reasonably incurred.
2: I think just to bring it full circle, I think that um, may go some way to explain why uh, more people are willing to donate in different countries. So in this country, we are only allowed to uh, to compensate. Where in countries uh, like the U.S., um, men who wish to be donors are very definitely paid for for their donation and paid uh, for their for their time. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a, a willingness for men in this country. Um, to donate versus other countries. I think there's just different drivers be- behind. Yeah. Um, not necessarily why the reason to donate because we have a lot of patients who who are willing to and would like to donate. So I think the drivers behind um, making that possible are mm-hmm. different. So we've talked
0: a fair bit there about the kind of, maybe the negative points, maybe the, you know, the, obviously the, touched on the change in the law, confidentiality and... Um, compensation financially whatever else focus on now the positive side of things you know why would why would I want to donate not just because there is a shortfall in the amount of donors in the UK what you know ethically morally why should I donate rather than why would I want to donate in the sense of maybe you know who who needs my help in that sense if I'm donating
1: I find personally that a lot of guys that come and Donate all. They have a wide range of reasons, but the number one thing is that they're looking to to help to help out people who, um, you know, otherwise would potentially be childless or have to seek, uh, you know, donated sperm through um, an unlicensed clinic method where that person then is putting their life at risk of contracting STIs or potentially blood-borne viruses. So through donating um, in a licensed clinic, you know, you are really, really helping out people who are desperate to create, you know, their own family unit. Um, you know, donation is a life-changing opportunity. Um, and, we have a great relationship with some of our donors. You know, they come back uh, to donate again for sibling use, for brothers and sisters. So these people can't just start their family, but also complete their family as well. It's We find as well that not only do uh, a lot of our donors donate their sperm, they'll be on uh, blood donors, on the bone marrow donor list. You know, they're just people who are willing to give in any way, shape or form mm. that they can just absolutely fantastic guys
0: And that's the key thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, All of the things that I've read and I think a lot of the articles that you read in the newspapers are probably too heavily focused around the legality and the the information and the paperwork and the other side of things when it's so easy to move away from the fact that it is a true altruistic gesture as much as anything else, you're kind of selflessly helping another person Yeah
2: you are, I mean I would just like to kind of go back to something that Amanda said. So we we have um, patients report to us a lot of um, stories whereby usually it starts with that they they know someone who 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 did this thing. Um, so I'm particularly thinking of patients that we have arrived to us who need to use the donor bank uh, because they are a lesbian couple. Okay and they will start a story whereby they will mention that a friend of theirs has offered to um, to donate sperm Um, they've chosen to come to the Hewitt Centre to to do things properly but they're always aware of a friend of a friend who has um, had uh, sperm kind of gifted to them from a male that they know and all of that has happened outside of a treatment centre uh, perhaps just in you know in, in their home. Yeah, yeah. It's important to use a centre like ours because everything that we do is regulated. Uh, all of the male donors that we have have been screened for bloodborne viruses. Now, if you were, for instance, in a, in a lesbian uh, relationship and you you did have a, a donor in mind, we also have uh, the ability to to help you. Um, with that particular donation, not only from the legal side and from the, the, the blood screening side of it, um, but that you
0: could, um, you know, you've got that security, that safety as well as
2: you do, you have the security and the safety, um, but we can help you in so much as we can uh, help you with the donation. And it might be that you're able to bring this particular person to our attention and this particular person may even consider not only just donating to yourself but may consider also joining the, the, the general as it were mm. uh, donor bank and providing semen for as I say not just yourself but for all of the other patients that we, that we do have so you may be able to help. And give back and keep to giving us. and keep helping. Well, that's an interest,
0: that was going to touch on to one of my later questions was that how many people can use my sample? So many, a lot of people might be under the um, belief that, you know, one donation, one baby. Is that is that not the case?
1: Okay, so the HPA allow us to create up to ten families. So as part of our counselling session. Um, we encourage our donors to think about how many families they would like to create with their donations. So we would curtail the amount of sperm that we banked for a particular donor uh, to the number of families that he might wish to create.
0: I see. So it's within the power of the donor, this. It's it very is. much a vocation. So, uh, vocational. so
1: yeah. donation is um, it's a consent-driven process. Yeah. Yeah. So everything that we do with your sample you have to agree to first and at any point in time you can withdraw your consent however you know it is an expensive and a lengthy process on Mm -hmm. our behalf so we really you know would like people to before they come forward and come donors really have a good think about what it might mean to them what it might mean in their future we also have guys come forward and donate who already have their own families that Mm -hmm. know that they're fertile you know have discussed it with their partner and have come to an agreement that you know as long as both parties are happy that he donates um and you know there are no ramifications towards uh, the, the family unit you know, we're more than happy to accept guys who already have a family and they can still create up to ten families should they wish to. Should they wish to be mm-hmm. a very You can yeah. you can yeah. come it cap it. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, that's it's that's interesting. Cap it five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's possible. Very interesting. Um okay, so moving on a little bit, um how do you keep my sample? What happens when you take the sperm sample, touching on obviously your knowledge as our donor bank coordinator, what happens in the lab?
1: So, what we do is each uh, sample for donation and storage, uh, once the sample is produced, we take it into our cryo laboratory, add some cryoprotectant media that uh, ensures the sperm isn't damaged during the um, freezing process. We then um, Draw the sample up into separate little what we refer to as straws, kind of like a small drinking straw. Label the straws and then uh, the straws sealed. Uh, the samples then put into what we refer to as a quarantine tank. Uh, that means that uh, each donor has to go through a 180 day quarantine period uh, so we know when the sam- donors screened before and when the scre- donors screened afterwards, that during the, the space of the quarantine period that he hasn't contracted any STIs, any bloodborne viruses, there's been no change to his status. Uh, and that's where the samples are stored in our big, what we call vapour-phase tanks.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: very nice. Very nice indeed. And
0: that goes back again to comments on the safety oh. of donating through a licensed clinic such as the Hewitt Centre rather mm-hmm. than... Um, I hate to use the phrase, back alley kind of organisation, but something deregulated anyway. You mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of people Very will not so. understand the dangers that they might be putting themselves under, and obviously it's something that's completely avoided by mm-hmm. coming to a centre like this.
1: And coming through a licensed clinic using a fully screened donor, um, we have had cases where people have been home inseminating with a friend, mm-hmm. and the, the treatment that they've been going through hasn't worked they've come to us to uh see if they can use that person as a known donor and that person has tested positive for a bloodborne virus. Okay, okay. So it's something to really really think about if you were considering um you know using a known donor that establish your legal parenthood mm-hmm. and establish um whether uh that person, you know, you have a full medical history that you know that they've been tested for
2: STIs
0: for the safety of the potential child as much as yourself. Obviously. Of course. Yeah, that's
2: the thing is, so you have to look at it from a few different aspects. If you, if you were uh, using uh, a licensed donor through a licensed um, centre, that sperm um, is is very much a donation. Hmm. So the the donor of that sperm um, is not uh, eligible to. Uh, to be the legal parent however if you self inseminate using uh, the sperm of a friend um, then that friend is considered to be the legal parent
0: ah, I see, that's interesting so you point.
2: use a, le- a licence centre um, and all of the paperwork that you have to go through to to get around that um, that very very important to ensure the,
0: the confidentiality and the security of your own kind of freedoms, if you know what I mean. Yeah, as a, much as important. anything else. It's yeah. important
2: for that born child as well because mm. um well it's important for everyone really, let's be honest. But it's important for the guy who's produced that semen sample because they are then not mm-hmm. the legal parents. Well
0: that leads me on to the big and the and the delicate question that I do have to ask and I, I know obviously we, we touched upon like the law change in the UK and, and donor numbers and things like that. But if I was to donate today, tomorrow, and my sperm was deemed to be acceptable and fine, and someone took that donation and a child was born off the back of that donation, um, obviously sensitively speaking about what we can and can't say, what information does that child get about me? How what are the, the the likelihoods? I'm only asking because this is what the donors will ask. This is me as me as the faceless donor. This is the question that is going to be on the the lips of every man who thinks about doing it
1: so what we initially do is we ask all of our donors to create what we call a pen portrait so um, the recipient uh shopping as -hmm. it were for a donor will have information about the donor's height weight eye color and then you know some of his background you know his skills his interests we also encourage our donors to write um you know, about themselves, the personal philosophies, likes, dislikes, uh, favourite pet, you know, as it were, all that information is collated and um, sent to the HFEA, our licensing body. So when a child reaches the age of 16, they can access that full unredacted statement, Uh, We do tend to remove any information that uh, would allow a recipient to locate the donor um, before, you know, the child's turned 18. Once the child reaches the age of 18, they can uh, apply to the HFEA to find out their particular donor's um, identifying information. So that would be, you know, full name, date of birth, last known address... um, Sometimes our donors might leave an email address in their donor statement, which would allow a child born through a donation. And again, should they wish to, because let's not forget these children are born into loving families who desperately want them, um, an email address and that allows the child to potentially contact their donor in a way that is removed from, you know, a person finding Mm -hmm. out your identifying information and, you know, turning up on your doorstep at the age of 18. um, You know, every donor knows that's a possibility and they're counselled in such a way that, you know, we make sure that they have thought through all of these ramifications Mm -hmm. before they progress. Mm -hmm. However, you know, that email address allows somebody to make contact but in a situation where, where they're removed.
0: Yeah. And it's a decision that obviously still a lot of people do make, you know, a, a lot of men still do. And going back to what we were saying before, it's the altruistic choice, you know, and if, you, if you've if you sized it all up, and you know, a lot of people still do make the decision to go ahead with it, um, and rightly so, and, and so they should, obviously. Uh, right, I think we're going to call it a day there. Thank you both very much for coming along and oh, giving us another. Good, because I've got a donor to bank. And yeah, you're, you're both very busy, so thank you for taking the time. Um, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm.